March 20th, 2011, lecture discussion number uh, special request three. This is the third in the special request studies. Uh, more specifically, this is going to be Judges 19, 20, and 21. As you know, or you, I hope you know because you've been here, I've interrupted our revelation, I'm sorry, a Roman study, a Roman series to uh, revisit Ezekiel 38 and 39, Matthew 24, Isaiah 19, Revelation 20 because of what's going on in current events. And if you've been here, you know that, that Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, that brings the first Gog-Magog into play in Scripture or, if you will, the premillennial Gog-Magog, which is what is called this invasion from the north that comes against Israel prior to the, uh, in my view, prior to the tribulation, clearly, but certainly prior to the millennial. So that's why it's called the premillennial Gog-Magog. And the specific signs that Jesus gave his disciples that the end of the age of the Gentiles was very near. Because the age of the Gentiles started, as you've heard me say many, many times, 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar took out the nation of Assyria, essentially, and the nation of Israel uh, within a couple of years of each other. That was the beginning of the age of, of the Gentiles when he ransacked and brought into captivity the Jews from Jerusalem back into Babylon. And they wanted to know, the Jews wanted to know, when will the age of the Gentiles come? And that was one of the things the Messiah was going to do, right? He was going to give Israel back to the Jewish people. And they knew that Christ was the Messiah. That was obvious. So when is this all going to end? And so he gave them signs. And he said the signs. And I'll put these on for you. I have to probably erase them. Maybe I can flip it over. No, I can't. Um, World War is a sign. And as you know, that's 1914 to essentially 1945. But that's your biggest sign. Never in the history of humanity has the, has the world gone through world war except now within most of some of your lifetimes. But most of us know at least that there was a world wars fought and who fought them. That was his, that's a, a huge sign. When that came, it got everybody's attention, especially because it was, it was followed by the rebirth of Israel. The nation of Israel came about 1948. And now the next sign that comes is the rebirth of Assyria. Assyria has been gone 2600 years and it became, it came back when? Christ said, 30 A.D. essentially, that the signs that the age of the, of the age of the Gentiles would end is we would have a world war, we would have the rebirth of the nation of Israel, which had been gone for 2,600 years. It finally came back, 1948, and then we'd have the rebirth of Assyria. When did Assyria come back? You should yell it at me, because it came back in what? 2001. There's three signs right off the bat. Is the phone for me, or is that the rice again? I, that's the rice. Okay. And then worldwide famine. Would be a sign that the age of the Gentiles was coming to an end. Worldwide disease or pandemics. Worldwide earthquakes. That is why we got started in this, right? Because of all the earthquakes. Haiti, Chile, you can see them working their way up to Alaska, can't you? Uh, New Zealand, Japan, 
as the, the ladder. You start making, you could see it kind of like it's alternating like this as it works its way. Now, our only hope is that we had ours in 1964 so that it will bypass it or it'll bypass us. But these are the signs of the end of the age of the Gentiles that Christ gave. And then, of course, worldwide famine, worldwide pandemic, worldwide earthquakes. And then we begin to get into the fact that we would have a worldwide economy. Now, I'm, I'm going past or going outside of Ezekiel 38 now, and I'm getting into other areas of Scripture uh, Revelation specifically here. We're going to have an economic Bab- Babylon. That's Revelation 18. And then we would have a worldwide religion, ecclesiastical bi- Babylon. That, by the way, is how you know that there will not be any atheism. Communism will be totally and completely wiped out. There won't be anyone who's an atheist because everyone will worship who? The Antichrist. He will establish himself as God in the flesh. So we'll have a worldwide religion. Those are the signs that the age of the end. So when you see these things starting to form, and look at what we've got. We've already had one, two, and three, right? We're having earthquakes. The economy is beginning to show. There already is a massive effort to get us into a one-world economy. And then there are ten kingdoms, right? When it begins to divide into ten world kingdoms, And you can kind of figure out the ten kingdoms already, can't you? The United States, North America would be a kingdom, South America would be a kingdom, Africa would be a kingdom, Middle East would be a kingdom, Europe would be a kingdom, Russia would be a kingdom, China would be a kingdom, India would be a kingdom, Australia would be a kingdom. How many I got? Start working on it. Come up with ten really fast. When we have ten kingdoms, a one-world economy whole bunch of earthquakes all over the world, worldwide pandemics, uh, worldwide, worldwide famine, Assyria, Israel, and world wars that have already occurred. Those are the signs. Add to that the blessing of the highway, which is uh, Assyria and Egypt and Israel, and, of course, the post-millennial Gog Magog, and you now have a pretty good idea of what to do with uh, whoever asks you a question about what's com- coming next. Now, when do I think this is all going to happen? Have you got bought my book yet? No, I'm kidding about that. Um, but I do see, as I said a few weeks ago, or maybe just last week, uh, when I did this uh, for high school kids, it, uh, the only world war and rebirth of Israel had occurred. And I could see the economic system trying to develop into a one-world economy, and I could see the G8 and all of these different organizations beginning to start that were economically based. We have, obviously, the G8. What are those? Those are the top eight economies in the world that meet together and make decisions economically for the world, right? I just need 10 total. Actually, it's got to go to 13 and then knock down to 10. Um, Antichrist kills three. It occurred to me that probably the easiest one for him to kill is going to be in the Middle East area. But it wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't someplace else. In any event, this is what I was excited about back in the uh, 80s because that was extraordinary. And then bang, that's happened. And you can see right now our food source for the world is really, really fragile right now, very fragile. 
All we have to have is a dust bowl in the United States or some kind of natural disaster in the United States, and we feed the world. And if that goes, we have this. And by the way, when we monetize the debt, what's called quantitative easing, that causes tremendous pressure on the world from the standpoint of affording food, and that uh, that could easily trigger a worldwide famine. And then there's already uh, talk about getting away from the United States dollar and having a, a world uh, um, currency and so these could, these could, these are related to each other. And, and we're having earthquakes again, powerful earthquakes. And if all of that goes, then we are at the end of the age of the Gentiles. So I see at least half of these very signs either now in existence and the rest on the edge of fruition. Uh, they're forming before our eyes. And we may be the generation that sees the ten kingdoms that sees the invasion from the north, the Ezekiel 38 Magog-Gog, the premillennial Magog-Gog. That could happen. That is Russia, Turkey, and Iran as the primaries. And as you've been here, you've heard me say who might else be involved in that. We may be the generation that sees the wisdom of man swallowed up. Could be us. Could be you. And that would be a great blessing. And it's a, a time to rejoice, isn't it? Because you know everything is about to come. And I, I uh, it's so a great time to rejoice, but it's also a time to hurry, isn't it? Because your friends are in trouble, your family might be in trouble, your neighbor's in trouble, your co-worker's in trouble. Things will happen fast. No one thought the Iron Curtain would fall, the Berlin Wall would fall as quickly as it did. It fell overnight. Those were extraordinary events, and this will also be that way. Jesus Christ, the Ancient of Days, the Creator God Himself in the flesh, mighty God, is coming. And He will come first in the air for His gathered bride, the church, and then after a a seven, He returns to the earth, a seven-year period. He returns to the earth, and he ends the wicked ones in their wickedness. That's what he does. He intends to bring a worldwide witness during that seven years that he is not here, and he intends to bring a testimony of truth uh, to the truth of who he is, and he intends to turn the stubborn, stiff-necked nation of Israel to himself. And that is the purpose, the three purposes of the tribulation, of the seven-year tribulation, uh, the end the wicked ones and their wickedness, worldwide testimony or worldwide revival, and then to turn Israel to himself. And thus the defining questions come now. Does God have the right to judge and end sin? Does he have that right? Should he do it? Does God have the right to rule his creation? And then the more specific applicational one, because I get in trouble for not being applicational. Does God have the right to rule over you? Me. Us and we as And the overwhelming number of people on the earth today, they answer that question. They scream and they yell and they insist that God does not have any such right. That it is unjust for him to assert that he does. And they are mistaken. This is the classic 520. It is calling God evil. 
And woe to those who call evil good and who call good evil. That's Isaiah 5.20. Woe. I want to read a couple of things to you. Because it showed up this week. And I, of course, would expect it to keep showing up. Here is what an anchor of a major news show, a network news show, said. He said this. The book of Revelation is a work of fiction describing how a truly vicious God would bring about the end of the world. No half-smart religious person actually believes the book of Revelation. They are certain that their God would never turn into a malicious torturer and mass murderer beyond Hitler's wildest dreams. Okay, that's what he said. Again, let me ask the question. Does God have the right to end wickedness and the wicked ones? Does he have the right to end sin? What that man is calling torturer and murdering is God ending sin and God imposing himself as the ruler of his own creation. Does God have the right to rule his creation? Does he have the right to rule over you? That becomes the issue. And this man is calling God evil on the level of a mass murderer. That is in Isaiah 5.20. If you call God evil for ending sin... By the way, is ending sin good or bad? It's good. What must he do to end sin? Ask that. Well, how does that affect us? He's going to end sin because it's the right thing to do and it is good to do so. We do not get to stay in sin. And he is going to rule over his creation because that's the right thing to do. And it is good to do so. Do not call good evil and evil good. By the way, there's a tremendous amount of one thing in the tribulational period. What is it? There's a tremendous amount of it. You have a world filled to the brim with people who reject God and who hate him, and who seek to kill him, as insane as that is. They want to kill God. They mass up by the billions to kill him. All us little specks of cockroaches attacking the USS Ronald Reagan. I mean, that's not even close to what it is. But that's the best I can do. Okay? And then I want to read this to you, because this is the Prime Minister of Israel, who is stunned by something that I am not stunned by at all, but he is stunned by it. He cannot understand why the the Hollywood media academic group would join with the radical Islamics. He doesn't understand that. Makes no sense. And he said this, he called it this. He was on another news show. He was on CNN, and he said this. He took aim at what he called Europe's strange fusion of radical Islam and the far left. There is a new, quote, here's his quote. There is a new boiling anti-Semitism of radical Islam that sweeps Europe as a whole. By the way, it's sweeping the United States as a whole, too. Don't be fooled. And there's a strange fusion. It's the only word I can use to describe it, Netanyahu said. A fusion with the anti-Semitism of the radical far, far left. This is the strangest union you could possibly contemplated, contemplate, he added, because radical Muslims, they stone women, they execute gays, they are against any human rights, they're against feminism. 
What have you? And the far left is supposed to be for these things. He cannot understand why the far left would join with the Islamists. Makes no sense. First thing the Islamists will do to the Hollywood people is what? Behead them all. Why would they root for them? Because they what? They hate Israel. They hate Israel. And that, by the way, is a supernatural issue, not a, that is a spiritual issue. That is not a logical issue. Okay. I gotta leave that topic behind for now. Soon, perhaps, Dave will get the older Ezekiel 38 lectures on sermonaudio.com, uh, because there are older Ezekiel 38 lectures somewhere in the, in the bowels of Cliffside. Um, and, uh, then Ben uh, will also put them up on our coming, up and coming website. And, um, because if you go to Sermon Audio, that is where the old stuff is. The new stuff is at, or sermonaudio.com. Let me repeat that for those who listen. The uh, new stuff is at, uh, podbean, podbean, B-E-A-N.com. And, uh, and then eventually everything will be at a Cliffside website coming soon to your neighborhood. Um, so uh, search Cliffside and you'll find hopefully us and not some auto de- dealership somewhere or real estate development. Uh, okay, Judges 19, 20, 21. That's what we're going to do today by special request. The, others, the other was by special request also. And uh, you're going to notice quickly how Judges 19, 20, 21 fits with 1 Samuel 15 and uh, 1 Samuel 28 and 2 Samuel 11 and 12, which is where we were in our Roman study. That's where we've been lately. Uh, that is, as you remember, I'll try to refresh you a little bit here. That's King Saul. Uh, he refused to kill the Amalekites. Uh, he refused to kill Agag. And Samuel uh, came and cut Agag to pieces uh, um, because Agag had made women childless. And that's very important. Women childless. That was the crime that he had done. Now, what's the obvious question right off the bat? How did he make women childless and why did he make women childless? And so um, then we uh, moved to First Samuel 15, 33, where uh, Samuel, after cutting... Uh, uh, cutting Agag to pieces, it is said that he never again went to King Saul and until 1 Samuel 28, which, as you remember, I hope, is the Witch of Endor incident. And that is where a disembodied uh, Samuel comes uh, uh, to inform King Saul of his physical, uh, pending physical death. And then, of course, I, I concluded, and I realized that I've got to repeat this because of technical problems. Um, we made a, at length, a comparison between King Saul at 1 Samuel 15 and 28 and to King David at 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And I can't say that enough. Always look for the two of them. They are wedded together in almost every aspect. So what King Saul does, King David has a complement to it of some kind. And, and the contrast and complement is pretty extraordinary. And teach yourself to look for that. And by the way, teach yourself those signs. you got to know those signs. Why do you got to know? Somebody wants to know them. Somebody near you, you got to say, hey, by the way, did you know that the signs of Matthew 24, Revelation, uh, Ezekiel 38, are these? Bang, 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 bang. And that ends the age of the Gentiles. And what comes after the age of the Gentiles? The tribulation. What comes after the tribulation? The age of the Jews, the thousand-year millennial rule with Christ on the throne, right? So 
if we are in the end of the age of the Gentiles, and I firmly believe that we are, uh, um, things will happen dramatically and very uh, extraordinarily fast. Okay, so that's where we was in Samuel. And now where we are headed is best described as stunning. And it's rare indeed that I find an explanation of Judges 19 and 20 that makes any, and 19 and 21 that makes any sense. And uh, lots of the commentators, if you um, go out and try to buy books to have you explain uh, Judges 19, they hand ring. They just, okay, I don't know what to do with it, and I'm not even going to try. I'm going to just say what may have happened and and not deal with what is happening. And um, and I have sympathy for them, for all the hand-ringers. Judges 19 is astonishing. It's astonishing scripture. By the way, all scripture is astonishing, isn't it? But... Let me just say this about Judges 19. It, it, it's, it just has a way of making you stop when you read it. And what you must do is approach it from a Christological uh, position. Find the Christology to be more precise. If you search for Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, which is Christology, which is what I mean by that, if you search for him on each and every page, then and only then will the mystifying become comprehensible? If you're reading the Old Testament without searching for Jesus Christ, then you are failing. Can I put it better than that? You are failing. You're, not, you're, you're, you're in the ditch. And interpretive error will abound. You will come away from your reading of the Old Testament with a bag full of mistakes a truck full of them. So we're going to do otherwise. I hope we will obediently search for Christ uh, when we do Judges 19 here in a second. And uh, that's John 5.39. I need to say that more often. And we're just going to read it. And that by itself will place a significant strain on the class, on you guys. It's going to really, and anybody listening by Internet, just reading Judges 19 is straining. And I'm willing to make a promise, uh, make a promise here with absolute assuredness that today, right on this Sunday, no church in the United States, no other pastor or teacher is subjecting his congregation to a reading of all of Judges 19. You are it. Nobody else is doing this. I'm positive. I challenge somebody on the internet to tell me I'm wrong. There's hundreds of them, if not thousands of them listening to me. And so we may be today the only church in all of the United States reading Judges 19. I'm sure that we are. And thus, once again, and you can say it with me, were you weird before you came to Cliffside or did Cliffside make you weird? Absolutely right. And, and as we do this, everyone keep in mind two things, right? Find the portraits of Jesus Christ. Find his person. Find his redemptive work. Um, and what else do we have to keep in mind? Yes, that's right. It's Misty's fault. She is the one that made the special request. She came up and said, what's going on in Judges 19? Does it have anything to do with Samuel cutting Agag apart? And so the obvious question is what, Misty? That's not a question. Yes is an answer. (laughs) Somebody give Misty a, a, a skittle. 
Uh, no, the obvious question is, is if they are related, did Agag do the same thing as the people who killed this woman? We're going to look at a murder today, an extraordinary, brutal killing of a woman that, that the Bible says had never happened since Israel left Egypt. Okay? So there's this, this is an exhaustive reading, and then the obvious questions, and let me ask another question. What is the possibility that we're going to get through this today? It is nil, not a chance, no possibility of any kind. Uh, are you serious? I mean, really, have you read this? Have you looked at it? You're supposed to. So here we go. It's in your bulletin. So you can't follow this. You can't solve this. And I wish you would look at it as kind of a, a murder mystery because it is very much like that. Trying to figure out what is going on here. Why was this woman killed? What did she do to get herself killed like this? Who killed her? Why did they do it? Why did the person respond the way he responded, her husband? It's in your bulletin, so if you don't have a bulletin, raise your hand. We'll make John bring you one. You don't have a Bible. Did you bring one for Misty, just for yourself? I mean, I'm sorry, Missy. See? Oh, you got one? Okay, Missy's fine. Anybody else need a bulletin or a Bible? Follow along. All the We have a whole bunch of Bonnie-looking people here that need bulletin. I'll wait. You need to follow this as best you can. Think of it as punishment. Okay. Here we go. And it came to pass, Judges 19.1, And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite standing in the remote mountains of Ephraim, He took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. But this concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. So it is giving you information to help you solve this, details that you have to know. These are clues, if you will. Think of yourself as uh, Sherlock Holmes, if you want, or Charlie Chan, age myself. Who else is left? Think of your Colombo. Okay, all of those people are gone. Think of yourself as somebody who is coming and you're gathering this information. He took a, he's from, he's a Levite. What's that make him? He's a priest. He takes a wife. Okay? The wife came from Bethlehem. His wife played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. Very important. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So he brought, so she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. Then it came to pass on the 
fourth day, that they arose early in the morning, and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterwards go your way. So they sat down, and the two of them ate and drank together. Then the young woman's father said to the man, Please be content to stay all night and let your heart be merry. And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. Then he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon and both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father said, look, the day is now drawing towards evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. Lodge here so that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow, go your way early so that you may get home. However, the man was not willing to spend that night. So he rose and departed and came opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. With him were two saddled donkeys, his concubine also with him. They were near Jebus, and the day was far spent. And the servant said to the master, Come, please, let us turn aside into this city of the Jebusites and the lodge in it. But his master said to him, we will not turn aside here into a city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gebeah. Now, Gebeah should immediately make you say, okay, I know Gebeah. Where's Gebeah? Who comes from Gebeah? So he said to his servant, come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night in Gebeah or in Ramah. And they passed by and went their way. And the sun went down on them near Gebeah, which belongs to Benjamin. They turned aside there to go in to lodge in, in Gebeah. And when they went in, he sat down in an open square of the city and no one would take them into his house to spend the night. Just then an old man came in from his work in the field. At evening, who was also from the mountains of Ephraim, he was staying in Gebeah, whereas the men of the place were Benjamites. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, where are you going and where do you come from? So he said to him, we are passing from Bethlehem in Judah towards the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem in Judah. Now I'm going to the house of the Lord, but there is no one who will take me into his house. Although we have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself, for your female servant and for the young man who is with your servant, there is no lack of anything. In other words, what's he saying? I got a lot of money. I can pay. Nobody wants me to stay in their house. What's the obvious question? Why not? And the old man said, peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Only do not spend the night in the open square. What are you, crazy? Don't you know where you're at? Can't you hear the music? Don't go down those stairs. I mean, come on. So he brought him into his house and gave fodder to the donkeys, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. And as they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city. Okay, now here's where it says, it may say in your Bible, perverted men, but that's not the actual literal uh, 
It's called sons of Belial, and I'll put them on there. Certain men of the city, sons of Belial, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house that we may know him. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and concubine. Let me bring them out now, humble them, and do with them as you please. But to this man do not do such a vile thing. But the men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them, and they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came to the door, came as the day was dawning, and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was, till it was light. When her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, there was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. So she made it all the way back to the threshold. So the man And he said to her, get up and let us be going. But there was no answer. Why not? She's dead. So the man lifted her onto the donkey and the man went to his place. And that's a very mysterious verse, by the way. We have to get to that later. Probably not today. When he entered his house, he took a knife, laid hold of his concubine, and divided her into twelve pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territories of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer, and speak up. Let me repeat that. No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. When they saw those pieces, they knew what it meant. And we're going to get to that in a second. Okay. Where do we start? Well, we're going to start with this. Yeah. It starts out with no king in Israel. By the way, what was your assignment before I started reading that? What did you have to do in order to understand what was going on in that story? You had to find Christ. Did you find Christ? Okay. Critical that you do. No king in Israel. That's how it starts. By the way, it also, that's 19.1. And in 21.25, that's how it ends. So I have bookends. Have this. It starts with no king in Israel and it ends with no king in Israel. What does that make you think right off the bat? Is there a king in Israel? Who's ruling Israel? God is. What's he look like? He's the Shekinah glory. Yes, he's light. Where is he? He's in the tabernacle of Moses. Who's got that? The Levites do. How come it says there's no king in Israel when God's there? By the way, does there end up being a king in Israel? Who is it? 
It's Saul, King Saul. Where's he from? Gebeah. What is he? He's a Benjamite. Wow. Because what happens to the Benjamites here pretty soon? Did you read ahead? They almost get exterminated. How come they almost get exterminated? Because they try to protect the men that tore this woman to pieces. Now, when I say tore her to pieces, I don't mean cut her into pieces, because that's what the Levite did. And why did he do that, by the way? He sent 12 pieces to every tribe, or one piece to each tribe, didn't he? Why did he do that? We'll get to that in a minute. Seems like a strange thing to do. Number two, I have a Levite, and he's also called what? What else is he called? Did you notice? He's called Master. And then I have the wife who is a harlot, if you will. That's in some dispute, but there is no dispute in the ancient texts. Get to that in a minute. Did I spell it right? Despise. Is that correct? Is it E or I? Okay. The word means that she despises her husband. And so there is some issue as to whether or not she actually became a harlot. I do think she did, and I'll explain that as time goes by. I have a father, okay, her father is involved, who keeps trying to get them to stay. Do you notice that? And I have a servant who wanted to go where the Jebusites were. Uh, would that have been a better idea? Yes, he would have. What did he know about Gebeah? Okay, and then I have Gebeah. This all happened here. And then in this, and they are Benjamites. The tribe of Benjamin. And then there's this old man that shows up. The old man shows up. Talk to me about that. What's your impression of the old man? Seemed like a nice guy, didn't he? Nice guy? I always ask the question when I read these things, how did they know where the stranger went? And the Levite, how did they know where he was going? Did they track him? Did they see him? Everybody notice it's nighttime. How is it? How easy is it to see? Is three lights? Any three lights? Caller ID? Got any of that? How did they know? I just want to know those kinds of questions. It's me. I'm suspicious of those these kinds of people. Now I have a surrounding again, don't I? When I say surrounding again, what do I mean? I probably did, because I had room for it down here, so it must be here somewhere. Yes, I have sons of Belial, not certain men, not necessarily perverted men, but sons of Belial is the literal there. That's very important. Thank you for finding me. Then I have this surrounding again. When I say surrounding again, by the way, sons of Belial is Proverbs 6. Do you remember studying that? 
Who are the sons of Belial? What does Belial mean? It means Satan. It's also an Antichrist reference. Okay, I have the surrounding again. What's, what do I mean by surrounding again? How many surroundings do I have where we're beating on a door trying to drag somebody out? I have another one. Yes, I have a surrounding again. I, I'm, 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 in, I'm in Sodom again, aren't I? The stories seem to be very similar. That's an important fact in all of this. Then I have a virgin daughter. Bird, forgot the R. Virgin daughter. A virgin daughter. I have a wife. What do women always represent typologically in Scripture? Consider that. Again, you're looking for Christ. He divided the woman into 12 pieces. 12 pieces. Obviously, one for each tribe. But why did he do that? Why not send a letter? Why not? I mean, come on. He had to send it. How did he do it? It says limb by limb. And then this powerful statement, no such deed had ever happened since they left Egypt. And that's amazing. Now we're going to read ahead a little bit to uh, Judges 20. That's 14. How am I doing? Holy mackerel. Okay. This is going to be tough. Judges 20, verse 4. So the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, My concubine and I went to Gebeah, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gebeah rose against me, surrounded the house at night because of me. They intended to kill me. But instead, they ravished my concubine so that she died. Their whole point was to kill the Levite. Kill the what? The priest. Kill the what? Kill the Jewish priest. Kill the master. Let me put that on there. Kill the master. And then 15... It says this in 20 verse 1, So all the children of Israel came out when they found out about this. They all came out, all, 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 all the children of Israel came out. Now i got to pick up the pace. Every All means all. Everyone knew how serious this one was. Everyone knew that the sons of Belial, the certain men that had done something that had not been done since the nation left Egypt, they all knew what this crime was. They knew why it was committed, and they knew exactly how it all happened. And all of Israel then knew what they had to do. When you get a crime like this, you've only one thing that you can do about it. What can you do about it? What do they have to do? They have to exterminate everybody who was involved. Not only do they kill everybody's involved, but they have to kill everybody that defends them. Who would defend them? The whole tribe of Benjamin. So what happened to the whole tribe of Benjamin? The rest of Israel comes up against it to destroy the tribe of Benjamin. Because what happened here was so serious... So incredible that that has to be done. Why would the Benjamites defend the men, the sons of Belial, the sons of Satan, if you will? But they did. 
So ask the obvious questions. Clearly, this is somehow connected to Sodom, isn't it? Lot and his daughters, certain men surrounding the house. So obviously, we're going to have to study Judges 19 and Genesis 19 side by side. And what we ask immediately is, is the motive of the evil men the same in both places? In other words, what was occurring in Sodom when they surrounded the house of Lot? Uh, and, and by the way, you need to know that God calls what happened there exceedingly great wickedness, Genesis fifteen thirteen. Not just wicked, exceedingly great wickedness. And he said the outcry uh, against Sodom and Gomorrah is great. When there's an outcry against a city or against a person or against a nation, what is that outcry always about? It is an outcry because something has happened. What has happened? Blood has happened. There's a lot of death, tremendous amount of death. And in a horrifying way, he calls their sin very, very grave. Their great wickedness, Genesis 19.20. And now the obvious question is the same thing happening here at Judges 19. Had whatever happened in Sodom returned, has the sin of Sodom come back? Now the most obvious of the obvious questions then is what exactly is the sin of Sodom? If you think it is only sexual sin, I'll tell you it doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up. God calls it exceedingly great, very grave. He has to stop it. Notice the Levite priest said to the sons of Belial, said the sons of Belial intended to murder him. Item 14. Why did they want to kill the master, the priest? Instead, they killed the wife of the master. They ravaged her. And they didn't, they weren't, they wanted to kill the master. You starting to put it together? Wanted to kill the master, but couldn't kill the master. So they killed the wife of the master. And then what exactly did the sons of Satan do to this woman? Now you may have noticed how I phrased all of that. I did it on purpose. Sons of Satan. Who are the sons of Satan? Immediately you notice there's contrast between the sons of Satan and who? Sons of God, Genesis 6. Do I have a relationship between what is happening here and what is happening in Sodom and what is happening or what was happening in Genesis 6? The sons of God are, the, those are the angels in that context. That is the cosmologically mixed view, which I believe is the only defensible view. Anyway, how did the sons of Belial come to be sons of Belial? How do you get to be one of these people? And remember, if you were here for the Genesis 19 lectures three to four years ago, Sodom had great wealth, great wisdom, and they had solved many, many things. Ezekiel 16.49 says this. No time to read it, but look it up. 16.49 Ezekiel. It says they had pride. What's the obvious question? What are they proud of? They had food, lots of food. They had lots of idle time. They were haughty. They had, and there was this abomination that was occurring there. So what were they proud of? How did they get so much food? How did they have so much idle time? What made them feel superior? What was the abomination? See, and you notice Ezekiel uh, 28 and Genesis 3.15. Food and idle time and superiority, all of that is tied to defeating the curse. And Satan had pride, tremendous pride. What was he so proud of? What is, what did he done, what did he done, thought of? What did he come up with? 
And of course, if you were here, you know that's the foundation of Matthew 4, Genesis 15, and Matthew 26, 36 through 52. If you weren't here for that, next week I'll get into that a little bit. But my favorite question about Sodom is how old is old? Because it says, Genesis 19:14 that the old and the young surrounded the house of Lot. So how old is old? Everything else, pride, food, idol, haughty, superiority, abomination, all of that references defeating the curse. So how old is old? Do you see how I got there? If I can defeat the curse of, of toil and sweat, if I can defeat the curse in, except for what? Death. So that's why I ask, how old is old? Had Sodom extended their lifespan? How young was young? You guys, it's all relative. Some people would mistakenly call me young. Some would not. But how a 300-year-old man would call me what? How old was old? Why were the old men of the city of Sodom surrounding that house? What did they want? Why were they surrounding this house? We must wonder, for this passage, Judges 19, we must wonder if these certain men were a remnant of Sodom. Was the pattern repeating? Something happened here that was so extraordinary that it caused an incredible war. Hopefully you've also heard me emphasize the Levite as the priest or the master. The wife is described, as I said, in the ancient text as despising him, as being insolent, as departing from the master. So I have the master who has a wife and his wife leaves him and runs away from him, right? Plays the harlot. What's that a description of? That should help you get started. The master then pursues her, literally speaks to her heart in a kindly and affectionate manner. That manner, that's what those words mean. And see the book of Hosea, where Hosea chases after Hosea. What is Hosea? What's the word Hosea mean? Yeah, Hosea is the same as, Joshua is the same as Jesus. Same form, right? Hosea. Chases after his wife who plays the harlot and disappears from him. Chases her down. It's the same story. Who is the master in the story, typologically? And he is chasing after his wife Israel, isn't he? Who has departed from him and who treats him, who despises him and, and treats him insolently. And he speaks to her kindly and in an affectionate manner. So you see this picture of God pursuing Israel. Christ pursuing Israel ultimately because he comes to save them, right? By staying, and you see these time marks, the three days and the two days. By staying two days beyond the three days, the pursued wife is then given to the men who surrounded and she dies at the door of the master, ravished by the sons of Belial. But it's the priest, the master, whom they intended to kill. He's the one they seek to kill, but instead they kill his wife. Do you see that? And she crawls back and dies at his door. How's the master feeling now? He's not happy. He's going to act. And so he calls his army. And he's going to go after the sons of Belial and everyone who defends them. Where are we now in the Bible? He comes back. 
And he comes back with an army. He doesn't need the army, by the way. And there's a great army against him, too. And he's going to do what? Wipe it out. Where are we in the Bible? Uh, So I hope that helps you with the Christology. I hope some of it is clearing away. I know all of it is not because it gets complicated. But I hope the fog is dissipating a little bit. Keep in mind, this is an actual, literal, historical event. These are real people who did and said these real things. And God is placed within this, his redemptive work, his plan, his prophecy, his person, the revelation that is Jesus Christ. So to repeat, the Christology of Scripture, the searching of Scripture for Jesus Christ, the John 5.39, that's what we're trying to do. That's what he put here. Finally for today, uh, we must address the final verses again. Let me read them again. No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Okay, that's amazing. And I want you to think about that and then ask, why did the Levite divide the ravished wife into 12 pieces? And when the pieces pieces were seen, the response was universal. Everybody knew the crime committed was not done. Let me repeat this. From the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt. So when was the crime done? Obviously, everybody knew what this crime was as soon as they saw the pieces. How was it that the pieces told them what the crime was? They got to solve that, right? As soon as they saw the piece, they said... This hasn't been done since we come out of Egypt. What's the obvious inference? If I said this hasn't been done since summer, what's the obvious inference? Yeah, it's been done before summer, right? So, the priest sent those pieces as evidence that something of great evil had occurred again. Again. So what's the obvious question now? Everyone knew and everyone recognized the evil. They knew what this was and they knew it had happened before and they knew it happened before Israel had come up from Egypt. And so the obvious question is when it had happened, where had it happened? And I submit that Sodom had returned. By the way, the Bible says some incredible things about the end of the age. It says, troubled Do not be a pregnant woman. And as it was in the time of Noah, so shall the end of the age be. As it was in Genesis 6, so shall the end of the age be. you got to ask the obvious again. What was so unusual about the murder of this one woman? In that culture, at that time, even today, especially today, women are continually murdered. What made this murder so different that an entire nation of Israel rose up to exterminate the sons of Belial and the Benjamite tribe? Why was this woman's murder different? And all of Israel knew it was different. And they knew what they had to do. And they did it. And we'll get into that next week. Rise and be dismissed.